Well, unless you have been living under a rock, you are well aware that there is an election taking place this week. And if the media is your, bar- your barometer for these, these things, then you probably, probably believe that this is the most uh, important election in, our, in the life of our country or that the fate of America rests on the outcome of this election. That is until four years from now. Now, while I personally have my doubts about the veracity of those claims, I I am no political pundit, and my job is not to make predictions and give political commentary about our election process. As one who seeks to proclaim uh, the scriptures, my job is to give you Jesus. And as preachers, we are called to remind you the biblical truths we hold dear. When we stand before you and open up the word of God, we are to remind you of the hope that you and I have in Jesus and to assure you of his lordship and his sovereign control and the heavenly kingdom that he is ushering in. Brothers and sisters, Those are the pressing messages and the truths God's people and the world needs to hear, not just during tumultuous political seasons, uh, but that is the message we need to hear always. Every single day, we need to be pointed to those wonderful truths because you do know that the pull of the world And the distractions to to draw our attention away from that which matters most are not only present now, but the enemy is always busy and has been so throughout redemptive history. And he has been busy and and diligent seeking to draw uh, the people of God away from that which is of utmost importance. These early Christians, whom the writer is addressing in Hebrews, were distracted. They were distracted by all of the rhetoric and the influences of the world around them. They had taken their eyes off of of Jesus, and they neglected the the main things, the important things, that which was of utmost importance, and they were in danger of walking away from the faith. Listen, brothers and sisters, we, we, we do not, we don't want to be ignorant to the schemes of the evil one. He is cunning and, and crafty. He, he is the great deceiver. Oh, the spirit is willing, but the, but the flesh is weak. And so even good things, seemingly innocent things, have the potential to draw us away from the main thing. So, so here is my exhortation for us in the coming days, in the coming weeks, in the, in the coming months. Don't get distracted from the main thing, brothers and sisters. Do not 
let it happen. There is going to be a lot of information and and rhetoric and, and media and other messages that are going to be coming at you nonstop over the next days, weeks, and months. Here is my warning to you this morning. Stay focused. Stay focused. Don't get distracted. I chose, I chose this text this morning because I believe it will help us keep focused and help us to navigate the days, weeks, and months that are coming. There are two exhortations. Uh, in fact, there, there are more exhortations in our text in, 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 in chapter 10 that the writer gives, but there are two that I want to, us to reflect on this morning. And in fact, it is these two exhortations that I think will help keep us focused on the essentials, on the essentials. The first exhortation that the the writer gives to these these Christians, to these early Christians, and, and he gives it to us, he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Endurance, endurance and perseverance have been themes that the writer to the Hebrews has, has woven throughout his address to these early believers. He has as his focus, he has this as his focus because he is concerned and doesn't want them to follow in the paths of their forefathers, of their, their ancient ancestors. He, he told them back in chapter 3 what these forefathers had done, and he doesn't want them to fall into the same trap. Back in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, he says, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. Don't harden your hearts where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 40 years. He's reminding them of what their forefathers had done, and he doesn't want them to follow in that same way. And so he says later on in chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But here's what he says to do, but exhort one another every day as, as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm, firm to the end. Here's the deal, brothers and sisters. The reason why the the writer to the Hebrews is so adamant about this is because Satan loves to distract the followers of Jesus Christ. He loves to distract them so that that they might give up and give in and believe that Jesus isn't enough. So... And so, throughout the book, the writer is telling these early Christians who are, who are facing persecution, who are, who are facing rhetoric and hearing uh, that they're, what they believe about Jesus isn't enough and that they need to go back to following Moses and, and the prophets. Oh, 
Oh, he says to them, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Don't give up. Hold, hold on. I remember as a kid, one of the things I loved was having one of my older cousins give me a ride on, on their bicycle. And so sometimes what I would do is I would sit on the crossbar of the frame in between the seat and the handlebars, and we would go for a ride. As I got a little older, uh, there were some pegs that hung off the back of the wheel, right? And so you would stand, I would stand on those, on those pegs and, and put my hand on his shoulder. Now, if I was, if I was really bold and feel, feeling daring, I would sit on the handlebars of the bike and ride and kind of hold on to the bars, and he would have to peek around to, 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 to try to steer and navigate. However I, however I sat, though, my cousin's instructions were always, Phil, hang on, right? Hold on. He was concerned that I hold on because he knew the consequences if I didn't. Consequences for me and, of course, the consequences for him as he would have to answer to my parents for allowing me, allowing me to fall. Like, like my cousin who warned me, the writer here is warning believers, this, this, this world is a difficult ride. There are twists and turns and a myriad of distractions. Here's what you need to do. You need to hold on for the consequences of not holding on are grave. But unlike, but unlike those slippery pegs and unstable handlebars on my cousin's bicycle, as Christians, we hold on to something more secure. More secure. He says, we are, we are called to hold on to the confession of our hope. Hold on to the confession of our hope. You know, we have talked a great deal, a lot about uh, hope, uh, uh, that, the hope that we have as Christians, particularly during this uh, pandemic. And as we have said, our hope is a sure thing. You and I are not simply hoping in hope, but we hope in that which is sure. And the, and the writer here in Hebrews links, he links that surety to that which we confess. Brothers and sisters, I think we as modern-day Christians underestimate the importance of confession, the importance of confession. Not, not confessions in the, in the Catholic sense, meaning like you have to go and confess your, your sins before the priest. Not, not, not those confessions, but we're talking about creeds and confessions. Creeds and confessions. We, as it were, are confessional Christians. And in a nutshell, what that means is that what we believe is not new. What we believe is not new. It has been confessed and believed by Christians for centuries, brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, newsflash, Christianity 
did not begin in our generation. <laughs> for generation, for generations and generations, the faith that you and I confess is the faith that Jude says is the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints in Jude, Jude 1 and verse 3. We believe and we confess ancient truths. But here's the deal, brothers and sisters. It is not simply that we confess some beliefs. Many organizations have common creeds and, and some confession, something that they confess together as one and that it unites them. That which what, that we confess is not the significance. It is what we confess and the content of our confession is what gives us the sure hope that we hold on to. Does that make sense? The sure hope that we hold on to, it is what we confess. Oh, in the early church had several, several con confessions, truths about the faith that they were able to hold on to and to pass on from generation to generation. Perhaps the earliest confession is what Peter declared. It's what Peter declared when Jesus stood before the apostles and he, he, he asked them, well, well who, do people, who do people say that I am? And it was Peter who stood up and declared in Mark 8, 29, you are the Christ. Peter declared him as Messiah. And so this became an early confession of the church. They confessed Jesus as the, the Christ. But not only is that, the, the early church confessed Jesus as Lord. Jesus is Lord. That was an early confession. In Romans 10 and 9, it says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This was the confession. These confessions that the early church confessed was what they were holding on to. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is Lord. They held on to these. What hope? What hope is that? That is, that is a glorious hope. Jesus as Savior and Jesus as Sovereign Lord. The early church confessed these things. And as the church grew, so did her confessions. And thus the church came to develop and confess statements like the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed. Soon, the church developed full-blown confessions like the Westminster Confession of Faith and, and the Heidelberg Catechisms and others. These confessions, in short, deal with the person and the, the nature of, of, of God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. They, they, they talk about and deal with the, the nature of the, the church and, and the sinfulness of man and how sinners come to be saved. They confess all uh, 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 numerous other doctrines that we confess and believe as Christians. You do know that's, that's one of the reasons why we, we recite our common faith together. Every Sunday, we come in here, we, con we confess a, a, a confession. 
Brothers and sisters, that's not simply just a, a, a time filler that we, we that's, that's not why we have it, simply to fill time. No, it is a reminder that we as believers need to focus on the essentials. In a world, in a world that is moving at warp speed, with twists and turns, we want to confess truths that we can hold on to, we can grip. We want to hold fast the confession of our hope. And the writer, he tells the early believers and he tells us that we can hold fast our confession of hope without wavering. Without wavering. Listen, there is no need to be wishy-washy in what we confess as Christians. What we confess has been tested and tried. We should not let the world bully us into changing our beliefs simply because the culture is changing. Are confessions infallible? Of course not. But where they confess that which is clear in Scripture, we hold fast. We hold fast without wavering. Oh, we stand firm in them. Listen, you and I can hold on to these confessions without wavering because the one who we confess, he's faithful. The one who we confess is faithful. Look at verse 23. This is glorious. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Oh, that's glorious, brothers and sisters. You can hold on because the faithful one is holding on to you. He's holding on to you. That, again, is the promise associated with Romans 10 and 9. Because, remember, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is a promise, brothers and sisters. And he who promised is faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. Faithful to hold on to you. I don't know if you've ever been rock climbing, but when you're rock climbing, they, they hook you up to a, a belay system. And, and as you're climbing the rocks, if you get tired, there is a rope attached to your harness that somebody is holding. And you are climbing up the rock, but, but that person that is holding the rope, who is belaying you and, and keeping you nice and tight, they say, if you get tired and you slip off, I got you. I got you. I'm holding on to you. Oh, that's the promise. The one who promised is faithful. He is holding on to you. If you're you get tired and you slip, he is there to
to hold you. Last week, Pastor Tony, in his series on Psalm 23, expounded on the promises of God, and he was telling us and exhorting us and reminding us about how faithful God is to keep his promises. He fulfills what he decrees. If God said it, then he will do it. He is not a God to lie. So if you are Yes, I exhort you this morning to hold on. Hold on as tightly as you can. But if you slip, oh, the Father is holding on to you because he's faithful. He's faithful. Jude 1, 24 reminds us of this. Now to him who is able to do what? To keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Oh, Jesus is holding on to you. This is our assurance. Not that we are holding fast to our confession, but that Christ is holding us fast. Oh, I love, I love that hymn. And there's a line in that hymn, he will hold me fast. There's a line, he will not let my soul be lost. What his promises will last Bought by him at such a cost, oh, he will hold me fast. That's true of you, brothers and sisters. He, his promises will last. Oh, he's going to hold you fast. It's not, is that not glorious in the midst of turbulent times, in the midst of difficult times? The one who promised to keep you, to never leave you, nor to forsake you. The one who promised that heaven and earth will pass away, but his word, his promises will stand. He who promised, brothers and sisters, is faithful. Faithful. Oh, that's the exhortation that we need to focus on. That we are to hold fast the confession of our hope. That's how we focus on the essentials. But there is also another exhortation that the writer, the writer says, he gives these early believers and therefore gives to us. He says, let us, verse 24, consider how to stir one another up toward love and good deeds. Good works, good works is what the ESV says. Brothers and sisters, during this time of social distancing because of the pandemic, I really hope, and I don't believe I have to, I don't have to do a whole lot of convincing you regarding the importance of community. During, during the last several months, the struggles of loneliness and the the disconnectedness that people are experiencing cannot be overlooked or underestimated. Community in the life of the Christian is not only crucial, it is essential. That is why the writer says, do not neglect it. Do not neglect gathering together. Don't allow the enemy to convince you that it is not important. Brothers and sisters, you and I were saved into a community, into a family, and, and God designed it that way, and he utilizes the community to help us grow, to sanctify us, and to keep us on the path of the Christian in life. I know 
I know, I'm not unaware, that we find ourselves in a unique time. Gathering together has, has not been at all normal. It's not what it used to be. I mean, we could acknowledge that. And Lord willing, we will be able to gather again like we once did soon. That's our prayer. But let me just say, brothers and sisters, while we haven't been able to meet and to gather and to connect like we used to, we have been meeting and trying to connect as best we can. And, and brothers and sisters, there are ways to, to connect. Do we have to be a little bit more creative and diligent? Yes, but you can connect with other believers. You have the ability to take advantage of the technology that God in his providence allows us to have during this, during this time. So here is my exhortation. Do not neglect these means because it is not how we used to meet or because you don't particularly care for the format. Brothers and sisters, it is during these times when we most need to be with each other and connect. The gathering of the saints is essential. It's essential because of what the writer says, because it is where we stir up one another to love and good works. When we gather, when we have an opportunity to connect, we are able to stir one another up to these virtues. When we gather, we help each other pursue these things. In, in, in fact, to neglect the gathering together of the saints is to selfishly remove yourself from being that vessel to others and others that to you. It is in the gathering that we can to use language like provoke one another to love and good works. And notice what the writer says, that we are to consider, consider how we may stir one another up to these things. Like we are to, we are to give thought and to reflect and to, 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 to plan and to strategize ways that we might love one another, show love to one another, and, and express good works as a community. Consider it. He says back in chapter 3 that we are to consider Jesus, that we are to reflect, to meditate on Jesus. And then he uses that same word, consider how you might stir one another up. That the same attention we might give to considering Jesus, we are to give to considering how we might stir one another up in love and good works. Oh, brothers and sisters, these are the marks of a community that is holding fast its confession. The Apostles' Creed declares that we believe in the communion of the saints. And that communion, that fellowship, that koinonia is marked out by love. We have been loved by God, and therefore we are called to demonstrate and show love to one another. Matthew 22, 37 through 39, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. 
This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And we are called, we are, we are called to love one another. We're also created for good works. Titus 2 and 14, who gave himself for us, Jesus, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are what? Who are zealous for good works. That, that we, are, we are, are passionate about doing good works amongst us, amongst the community. Well, this is what we, we find in the Scriptures. Love and good works are, or should be the marks of the church. May this be our pursuit and our priority. May we not allow Satan to cause us to think that there is something better to devote our time to. Oh, so as we consider to stir one another up in these areas, let us, brothers and sisters, not be distracted. Let us not be distracted, particularly, particularly over the next days and weeks and months. It's amazing, it's amazing to me how, how quickly the events of the day can cause us to neglect showing love to one another and stirring up one another around good works. Particularly, particularly when it comes to, to, to politics. The, the lack of love toward one another that Christians have showed during this political season has been extremely disheartening, brothers and sisters. You and I are Christians. Brothers and sisters, may it not be so. The way we talk to one another doesn't show love. May it not be so. We must remember that the world is watching how we love one another. John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Oh, when it comes to politics, I, I wonder if that's true. Do they see us loving one another? Do they, do they think that we are God's disciples, Jesus' disciples, because the love that we're showing to each other during this political season? Not only that, Oh, we to, to, to show love to one another so that the, the world can look at and, and know that, that we are God's disciples. But Matthew 5 and 16, our, our good works are supposed to shine that others might give glory to God. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they might see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Oh, let's, let's focus Let's focus on the essentials, brothers and sisters. Listen, not getting distracted doesn't mean we don't engage the political process or that we are not interested in what happens this week. We should take an interest. We need to be informed. 
and we, we do need to recognize the importance of election seasons and how it might affect our, our lives. But as Christians, let us not lose our focus on the essentials. We need to major on the majors and minor on the minors, brothers and sisters. Why? Why should we do this? Why should this be our focus, particularly over the next weeks and, and days and, and, and months? Why, why should this be our focus? Because as the writer tells us in verse 25, the day is drawing near. The day, the day. What day, you ask? It's not election day. It, it is the day of the Lord that is coming. That's the day the writer has in mind here. Listen. I can't tell you who is going to win on Tuesday. And I don't know what the fate of America will be. But this is what I know for sure. The day of the Lord is coming. 2 Peter 3.10 But the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. It's coming. The day of the Lord is coming where judgment is coming. All works will be ex exposed. So that is why we need to encourage one another to keep focus on the essentials. Because when that day arrives, on that day Political affiliations are not going to matter. Who you voted for in the 2020 election is not going to be what the judge, just judge is looking for. He is going to want to know what your confession is. Who do you say Jesus is? That's what he's going to want to know. Your confession at that time must be Jesus is Lord. My allegiance, uh, my affiliation is with him. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he's going to want to know. He's going to want to know. As Matthew 25 and 35 through 36, when, when I was hungry, did you give me food? When I was thirsty, did you give me something to drink? When I was a stranger, did you welcome me in? When I was naked, did you clothe me? When I was sick and in prison, did you visit me and come to me? Focusing on the essentials, our confession of faith, and loving one another, stirring one another up to love and good works. The day is drawing near, brothers and sisters. It's drawing near. It's coming. It's coming. Every moment we, every day we wake up, we're one day closer to the day of the Lord. It's coming. So let us encourage one another. Particularly, particularly when it's easy to get distracted and discouraged over the next week and months. Focus on the essentials. May we not get distracted. May we hold fast our confession of faith. And may we consider, spend time reflecting on how we might stir one another up toward love and good works. Let's pray.